those who start the music with Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise.
and he sent Michael Singers with a good-going Methodist hymn, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing My Great Redeemer's Praise. Adrian Plass has written a book called The Unlocking, published by the Bible Reading Fellowship. They have given us permission to broadcast his recordings, and we hear one of them now. Cuddling the Kids People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. The subjects of children and childhood lie very close to my heart. I have four children myself who, over the years, have brought me great brimming buckets full of joy, pain and revelation. Before becoming a writer, I worked with children in the care of the local authority, and recently I have felt more able to face and address the child that I used to be and who still lives in me. Just occasionally I have even managed to coax that worried, skinny little kid with his pudding basin haircut out for an excursion into the world where I try to live as an adult. He's just beginning to trust me. In this passage from Mark's Gospel, we find the disciples doing what they always did most consistently, getting it wrong. Like some fussy committee, they're intent on shooing away the untidy, unimportant element in the crowd so that the master doesn't waste his time on trivial pursuits. How could they have known that in the eyes of these children Jesus saw some shining memory or reflection of heaven and home? He was indignant. He wanted to cuddle the children and bless them. So he did. I would like to tell you that ever since I was converted at the age of 16, the aspiring disciple in me has been preventing that skinny kid I mentioned earlier from coming to be cuddled and blessed by Jesus. I think I've been afraid that his formlessness, his pain and his unimportance were poor qualifications for intimate contact with the Master. I am sure I have been wrong. Of course, I would like to be a maturing, organized, competent disciple of Christ, but I have a new awareness that every now and then the child needs to slip past the adult to be taken into the arms of Jesus and simply held for a while. The way forward is the way back. And the way back will take us to the place where we have always wanted to be. For when we look into the eyes of the child that God loves in us, we will see the same reflection of heaven that Jesus saw 2,000 years ago in the eyes of those Jewish children who got their ears clipped by the grown-ups for trying to get near to God. Pray with the children. Dear Jesus, I'm speaking on behalf of some of the children who hide inside your grown-ups every Sunday in church. We've been good for a very long time now, even though we don't really like sitting in rows doing boring things and not being noticed much. When we get excited, we have to hide even further down. When we get sad, we're not allowed to cry out loud because it will disturb other people and they will think bad things about the grown-ups we live in. Jesus... Can you find a way to make them let us out, please? Some of us haven't been cuddled for a very long time now, and we think that's what children need. 
Speak to them for us, Lord. Bless you. Amen. Adrian Plass and the Child Within. And here's a child singer, Ellie Cook, with a song by Graham Kendrick. It's called I'm Special. Alexandra Harris is Professor of Literature at the University of Birmingham, but she's also keen on early music. She talks to Michael Barclay about the French composer Perrotin. We hear the Hilliard Ensemble singing part of Perrotin's Alleluia. I know you have a passion for early music. Uh, how did that early music passion develop? I... I heard a lot in Oxford and used to go to a lot of even songs. I'm so glad I don't have to be a medieval monk in order to enjoy some of this <laughs> music. And I say that quite seriously. I mean, I, I, I went and read the Benedictine rule and I've thought quite a bit about the extremity of medieval religious belief and of the the lengths to which composers had to go in the Renaissance to guard their forms of expression. I am so glad to be free of that and yet able to enjoy its fruits. We're going to hear um, a piece by Perrotin. 
this Ars Antica early music, really early, I mean, 12th century, very early 13th century, from the Notre Dame school. I've chosen a, a three-part setting of Alleluia, Posu, Adiatorum. It seems to me that um, I just wish we could go back to it. I wish whatever those unearthly chords are, we could go back to them. Is it fifths? Is it is it the Pythagorean tuning? I, I can never quite know enough to know what exactly it is that seems to me so contemporary. Well, also, it's the way it matches architecture, isn't it? It's extraordinary how composers like Paratin have a, a, an instinct for music that resounds in oh, sacred wow. space. doesn't it just reach up into the Romanesque rounded arches of a cathedral? I mean, this is associated with Notre Dame, but to me it's associated with Chichester Cathedral. And amazingly, I've, I've just been told by the brilliant researcher that the Hilliard Ensemble recorded their Puritan album at Boxgrove Priory, which is really special to me. It's a, um, a priory in Sussex. Um, you have to just turn off the main road out of Chichester and you come to a little unassuming village, creep through the gap in the hedge, and there is a vast and extraordinary church and the ruins of the priory that was attached to it. Um, there's a blue light that comes flooding into that church and these strange voices which are so rich and yet not lush somehow there's a an edge and a hardness and a seriousness to it as if the stakes are very very high I just think it's the strangest, most unearthly and grandest piece of music I've ever heard. And it's just these voices which edge up against each other and, and refract each other at these odd angles. Alleluia possui aduitorum by Perrotin with the Hilliard Ensemble, led by the tenor Mark Padmore, a recording made in 1988 in the Boxgrove Priory in Sussex at the foot of the South Downs. Get back to music, and still to come we'll be hearing from Malcolm Guite's thoughts on reading Psalm 19.
The opening verse of Psalm 19 reads, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. Here is the choir of Guildford Cathedral with Haydn's The Heavens Are Telling. Guite has written a series of meditations based on the Psalms. Today we hear Malcolm's reading of Psalm 19. It's followed by the song, Blessed Are You, Lord, sung by the Bulgarian Voices Choir, Angelite. You can see more of their spectacular folk songs on YouTube. Just type in Bulgarian Voices, Angelite. A response to Psalm 19. In that still place where earth and heaven meet under mysterious starlight, raise your head and gaze up at their glory, the complete consort dancing, as a poet said, of his own words. But these are all God's words, a shining poem waiting to be read afresh in every heart. Now look towards the brightening east and see the splendid sun rise and rejoice, the icon of his Lord's true light. Be joyful with him, watch him run his course, receive the gift and treasure of his light, pouring like honeyed gold till day is done, as sweet and strong as all God's laws, as right as all his judgments, and as clean and pure 
all given for your growth and your delight. We'll be hearing about Naomi and Ruth of the Old Testament. Here's a song that picks up on Ruth's declaration, Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. The Oasis Worship Band and I Will Follow. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. Trust in you higher than 
Murray and Judy Gentis have produced a series of talks about Bible characters. Today, Judy tells the story of Naomi and Ruth, her daughter-in-law. The name says it all. My parents named me Naomi, which means pleasant. It did match my personality, but I changed it to something completely different. And then back again. A riddle, you say? Don't worry, I'll tell you my story. We had a good life in Bethlehem. I married a man named Elimelech and was happy with the match. His name means my God is king. So how could you lose with such a husband? We were blessed with two sons named Marlon and Chilion. At the time, I didn't understand why these names were chosen for my sons, because they were not happy names. But I did find out later. There was a famine in the land, and because of that, we went to live in Moab, because at least there was food there. Maybe we should never have left Bethlehem and our inheritance. But famine changes your perspective on what is important. Then one day, a sickness spread through the land. It was devastating, and my husband, my poor dear Elimelech, he died. My sons had married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. I didn't want them to marry outside the faith, but what can you do? We lived here. They weren't from our people, but at least they were devoted wives to my sons. And then both my boys died. Once I had a thriving family with a loving husband and two wonderful sons, and then the next, all my men, dead. My husband, my sons, all dead. I'm not going to tell you how I felt, because I simply cannot. So here I was, a Jewess, in the midst of the Moabites with no support. I decided that the best thing to do was to return to Bethlehem, where at least I still had extended family and our inheritance. As we were leaving, Orpah and Ruth came to me and said they would come with me to Bethlehem. I was deeply touched by these two wonderful daughters-in-law, but told them that it would be better for them to stay in Moab and have the possibility of remarrying and having children. If they went with me, there would be no chance of that. Orpah saw the logic of my reasoning and said her goodbyes and left. But Ruth was adamant. She said she wouldn't leave me, no matter what. And I saw that she meant it. When she said, where you go, I will go, and your God is my God, I knew that it was the right thing to do. Some days later, we arrived in Bethlehem, and it didn't take very long for the news to spread. It happens like that in small places. I changed my name to Mara, which means bitter, because I went to Moab full of hope and came back with nothing. Many of the villagers were suspicious of Ruth, being a Gentile, but still others were just plain curious. You see, Jews have no friendships or dealings with Gentiles. That is the word we use for people who are not Jewish. Mostly they acknowledged that it was courageous that she had left her kin and country and followed me. Again, isn't it all in the name? Ruth means friend, and I've never had a better one. She was a hardworking girl and resourceful. She didn't just sit around. It was harvest time when we arrived, and our law says that after the harvesters have passed by, the poor can go and glean the leftovers in the fields. So she asked if she could go. We needed to eat, so I gave her permission. She happened to choose the field that belonged to my kinsman Boaz. From the beginning, I could see that he favored her. 
Boaz instructed his servants to protect her and not allow any mistreatment towards her, and even made it so that she had plenty for our home. He told Ruth he'd noticed how faithful she'd been towards me, and that's when the idea came to me. That night I told her to wash and anoint herself. Then, note, when Boaz finished eating and drinking, where he lay down to sleep. Then she was to uncover his feet and lie down next to him. That means that Ruth was offering Boaz the right to be Goel, or the redeeming kinsman, and raise a family to replace the one I'd lost. Was it a risk to me to tell her to do that? Well, yes, it was. But I knew that even if Boaz didn't redeem her, he would not shame her for trying. Also, we had nothing to lose. Some years have gone by as we speak. Boaz did marry Ruth, and right now I'm holding my grandson on my lap. They named him Obed, which means servant of God. I found out that Boaz actually was in love with Ruth from the very first moment he saw her, but he just didn't know how to tell her. He was somewhat older than she, and quite shy. If Ruth hadn't uncovered his feet, I doubt that he would ever have had the courage to declare his love for her. On the subject of names, I changed my name back to Naomi, because God has truly made my life pleasant again, and all this through a Gentile woman named Ruth. It's all in a name. After all, Boaz means strength is within him. May you be blessed with such a one. This is taken from the book of Ruth in the Bible. And that was Judy Gentis telling the story of Naomi. And here's a song that I think uh, both Naomi and Ruth could have said amen to. It's Ella Fitzgerald with God Will Take Care of You. God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He Yeah. 
Minister of Pitlochry Church of Scotland. Today she's got a story for us about salt. A Peanuts cartoon showed Peppermint Patty talking to Charlie Brown and she said, guess what Chuck, the first day of school and I get sent to the principal's office and it was all your fault Chuck. He said, my fault? How could it be my fault? Why do you say everything's my fault? She said, well you're my friend aren't you Chuck? You should have been a better influence on me. <laughs> While Peppermint Patty was trying to pass the buck, she was in a very real sense right. We should be a good influence on those who surround us. And we certainly have an influence. And it's up to us whether it's for good or for bad. And we should think about that the next time we speak to someone and on our lips are words of condemnation or spite instead of peace. We should think about the kind of influence we're being before we act. An influence for good or an influence that's undermining the work of Christ in the world. And perhaps it's good for us to remember that a lot of people are watching us. I heard of a minister who was making a wooden trellis to support a climbing vine. As he was pounding away, he noticed that a little boy was watching him. The youngster didn't say a word, he just stood there and watched and he wouldn't leave. Pleased at the thought that his work was being admired, the minister said finally, Well son, are you trying to pick up some pointers for gardening? Oh no, he replied, I'm just waiting here to hear what a minister says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. (laughs) People are watching us, people are listening. What do they see? Because what they see has an influence on them. And it should. You see, Jesus told us that we would have an influence in the world. Listen again to what he said. You are the salt of the earth. And I wonder what it would be like if we really saw ourselves as being who people said we are. A salt shaker. A difference maker. And should we perhaps be asking ourselves the question, where am I adding flavour and value to the world around me? So here's what we're going to do. My job and your job for this next several days is to take that little salt 
packet of salt on your order of service and put it in your pocket or in your purse or in your wallet. Place it somewhere where you're going to see it for the next several days. And when you do look at it, think for a moment. Say to yourself, I am the salt of the earth. That's what Jesus says I am. And what he means is that I am valuable. That I have influence. Carry this around and remember what Jesus said. And then sometimes, if it's not against your doctor's order, break open that little packet of salt and sprinkle it onto something you're eating. Or use it to salt the water you're boiling your vegetables in. And remind yourself that you can change the world. You can make a difference. You can make a difference like Camille who is riding to highlight dyslexia. Or like Malcolm and Catty. Or like the nine ladies I heard about yesterday who were aged between 70 and 91 who decided that they would go zip lining 100 feet above the ground, over the treetops to raise money for a hospital in Uganda. And if you were under 70, you were not allowed to take part. Now, it doesn't have to be something like zip lining, but there's a thought. Uh, When my arm's better, I would join you. (laughs) We are the salt of the world. Everything that we do influences other people. So we should go out into that world and remember that we are representing Christ. We are his light in the world. We are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. And you are valuable. Oh, here's another Graham Kendrick song coming up now. It's Beauty for Brokenness. Sunrise 
Stuart Townend and All My Days.
Where the glory never fades Yes, I long to be Where the praise is never ending Yearn to dwell Where the glory never fades Where countless worshippers Will share one song You're the beautiful Savior, wonderful counselor, clothed in majesty, Lord of history.